drums. This morning scripture. I guess I am on. This morning scripture, Romans 16, 1 through 17. I command you, our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sincrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and, with, and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epanus, who, who was first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Adronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, that they are well known to the apostles. And they were in Christ before me. The word of God, let us pray. Most gracious God, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the writings of Paul, breathed by your spirit so many years ago, Father. And we pray, Lord, that you can help us glean from this something different than what the church is today, Lord. And we pray that you would quicken in our hearts how you would like us to respond to this passage, Father. Lord, I pray the words that I speak be not of me but be of your spirit and be glorifying unto you. For it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. This morning's message is greet with love, and it marks the beginning of the final chapter to the book of Romans. So we begin this chapter 16. We began this journey of Romans with the introduction to Romans on June the 16th of 2019. So a little over three years ago, we started down this road through Romans, and we are in the last chapter now, and I feel like it's been a wonderful journey. I hope that you all have enjoyed it and learned from it, because I certainly have. In this final chapter, there are 27 verses, and it ends with a doxology of sorts. But before we get to that doxology, there is sort of a a leading into that doxology, a building up to that doxology. There are, in fact, 27 names that Paul mentions in this final chapter. And as he goes through these names, you can just kind of feel the love that he has in his heart for these folks that he is mentioning and writing about in this final chapter. Some of these people that Paul mentions, quite frankly, he he doesn't even know. He mentions them based on what he's heard others conveying to him. Others, as we see this morning, he knows quite well, but yet he wants to express his love and gratitude for them in this final chapter of the book. If they are believers and he sees and understands that they are sacrificing their love and their lives for the cause of Christ, he tells them how he feels about them. He makes it known to them how much they mean to him and the church as well as the gospel of Jesus. And as I read through this, I can't help but notice the genuine affection that Paul had for people that He had never met. 
for people he didn't even know except by word of mouth that he had received the good deeds that they were doing for Christ. And you can see the love in his heart for these folks that are now in Rome as he's writing this letter to them and and greeting them. And as I read this, I became somewhat burdened that we don't seem to have the same type of affection for other Christians that may be outside the confines of the sanctuary. That we see Paul's great deep affection that he has for those and it's hard or I'm, I'm hard pressed to see the church today, not just this church, the church in general, having that type of affection for believers all over America and quite frankly all over the world. So as I ponder that question, I ask myself, why is that? Why is that that I I don't see or we don't see the affection for other people in other cities the way Paul did and what I see here in the first chapter or in the first few verses of chapter 16? After all, God had a great desire for unity, did did he not? And we went through um, a chapter and basically we talked about unity and the desire that God had for unity of his church and if you remember in John 17 Christ's high priestly prayer his prayer was to the father and he said Lord I pray that you make them one even as you and I are one and so there was clearly a desire in Christ to have a unification of all believers now I think there are a number of reasons why we don't see that today some may be good And some may be bad, but we don't see this type of love and unity for other believers throughout not only our own town, but our land as well. I think that as Paul wrote to the Romans, he felt like that he was a vessel that had been used by God to create the church. And the church was very young at this time. I mean, it was pretty much a new phenomenon, right? I mean, you go back just 50, 60, 70 years from this time, and you were dealing with Jewish temples. There was not a church even in existence. So the church was in its infancy, and it had only been around for a few decades. Now, while Paul didn't plant this church in Rome, there's no doubt that his influence was great in this church at Rome. And so I I feel like that he had a sense of ownership, that he sort of shepherded this church even though he wasn't physically there. And so I think that it is with that, that that Paul wanted to greet them from far away. And let them know how proud of the people that were there that he was. He wanted to encourage them. And part of that reason was he felt responsible for it. He, although would not take primary credit for it, as he would always give that primary credit to Jesus and God, but he felt responsible for its existence. And whenever he created or helped create or worked in the creation of a church... I think he had a sense of attachment to that. And so with that sense of attachment, I think he felt like, hey, I need to encourage 
these folks. So I, and I think that may be one of the reasons why we don't have that same feeling of encouragement to other churches and other believers out there so much as we do our church as in this church. And so he kept very close tabs on them. The other reason I feel like that we may not do that as much today is sin. Sin had not spent 2,000 years corrupting the church, to be quite honest. I mean, we've got 2,000 years, over 2,000 years of sin corrupting church after church after church after leader after leader after congregation after congregation. And that's created a great many divides. It's created a great many splits in a great many congregations. Now, this church was young and pure and vibrant, and it was not without its problems. Don't get me wrong, we read of the problems, and as we continue in our study, we're going to jump right into a church that had a lot of problems. The church at Corinth was a very problem-filled church, and we're going to see that took place at that time. But by and large, because of its infancy, it didn't have the sinful corruption that the church does today. Additionally, the apostles were there to correct, admonish, and instruct the church. They had Paul, right? I mean, they had Paul writing to the church at Rome saying, this is what you should believe, how you should believe it, and how you should put it into practice. That was a big deal. I mean, you had somebody who, he hadn't walked with Christ, but he saw Christ, he met Christ, and you had the other apostles that were alive at that time that actually walked with Jesus, being able to teach the church how to be a church. And so the corruption would get stomped out rather quickly. And we saw it happen in Corinth, right? We know that Corinth was going through all sorts of bad things. What happens? Paul gets out his pen and pad and he writes him a letter. He said, there's a guy there with you that he's practicing sexual immorality. He's actually sleeping with his mother or mother-in-law at this time. We don't know. So what do you need to do? Kick him out. He's gone. When Paul gave instructions, it were easy. They were clear. There wasn't any debate among is this right or is that right. It was right there. So they had guidance that we don't have and you say well we do have guidance right we have God's word we have God's word how can God's word be less effective than the apostles I think it's a legitimate question how can God's word be less effective or less powerful than the apostles it's clearly not the fault of God's word because it's true in every way. It's the fault of the interpreters. It's the fault of the readers. Sin obfuscates, it darkens our ability to read 
and understand the Word of God. When God's Word is written, it is black and white. It is truth and only truth. When we read it, it becomes these shades of gray that God never intended for it to become. Sin makes us interpret Scripture in a light that is most favorable to our own personal wants and desires. I'll repeat that. Sin makes us interpret God's Word in a light that is most favorable to our own wants, personal desires. That's what happens. We see a piece of Scripture and we say, I don't like the way that says So how can I change that to mean what I want it to mean to make me feel better? That's sin. That's how sin corrupts God's Word. And we're all guilty of it at some point in time. We all have a sin bias when we interpret the Scripture of God. That sin bias has splintered His church into 200 different denominations throughout the United States. That sin bias is, and I stand on this, going to destroy denominations in the very near future. Because we have those that want to interpret it one way and those that want to interpret it the other way. And maybe not in my lifetime, but there will be a time when there will be no denominations and there will be individual churches that have their own doctrine and their own beliefs based on the Bible because denominations are absolutely being destroyed. Throughout the world, there are 45,000 different denominations. It's pretty amazing, right? And it all started from one church... We had a group of apostles that started that one church. And yet sin came into the picture and having difficulty understanding God's word and trying to interpret it in a way that makes us feel good about ourselves. We have splintered it into so many different denominations. We have a sin bias that likes to lead us in the notion if you don't believe like we do, then you're going to hell, right? How many times have you heard that? Maybe we've even said it. But there is that problem, that thread out there, that there is truth in that statement, right? Because there is truth and lie. So if we don't find the truth and we don't believe the truth, especially when it comes to how we are saved and what it means to be a Christian, then you run the risk of that happening. There are certain beliefs that our sin bias has caused that will absolutely lead a lot of folks to eternity in hell. That's just the reality of it. But I am also certain that there are beliefs that really don't make a difference. Beliefs that we've split and splintered and divided over that all will end up in the same place. The problem is to be able to determine what do make a difference and those that don't make a difference. I'm not going to get into that this morning. I just wanted to explain briefly why I believe it is so difficult for churches to reach out and encourage other believers 
and other leaders and other churches today as it was in Paul's time because there was that comfort in the similar beliefs that they all shared. And when they all didn't believe that way, then they were quick to be changed and quick to be corrected and admonished and instructed. And that is extremely different than what it is today. Nonetheless, Paul was great and marvelous in his encouragement. And so he begins this chapter by introducing a young lady. I commend you, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant, the church, at Sincrea, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and that you may help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. For she herself has also been a helper of many, and of myself as well. So Paul begins with this introduction of Phoebe. Phoebe clearly was not a native of Rome, right? She didn't, these, these folks in Rome did not know her. They She was a foreigner to the church in Rome. So he is commending or recommending this young lady to the leaders in Rome. Paul knows her, but the Roman church does not know her. And notice that Paul also refers to her as a sister. I recommend to you this sister, my sister Phoebe. Now, he refers to as a sister not because they are biologically related, physically, but because they are spiritually related, because they share the same spiritual father in God. And so that's the reason he's referring to her as a sister. It's that they share the same father, and since they share the same father, they also share the same spirit. And then he also goes on to inform the Roman church about Phoebe's role in the church. He tells us that she is a servant of the church. A servant of the church. Verse 2 down here, he describes her as a helper in the next to the last line. He describes her as a helper of the church. Both terms, being a servant and a helper, seem pretty benign, right? You you would normally read that and not look very deeply into that. But the Greek word that's used for the word servant in verse 1 is diakonos. Diakonos. Does anyone know what other word we get from that word diakonos? Anyone take a stab? Sounds a whole lot like deacon does it not it's a deacon deacon hopefully this has rattled some of your minds a little bit as you think about this young lady who Paul is saying was a deacon or servant in the church verse 2 as I said refers to her as a helper The underlying Greek word used here as helper is prostatus. Prostatus. It literally means the one who stands before the guardian or protector. Those of you that are men would know the word prostatus is related to a part that you have in your body, right? The prostate. It stands before or in front of your bladder. 
Same Greek word, prostatus. So here we have a young lady named Phoebe. She is a deacon and a guardian or protector of the church. It's a pretty heavy role, right? It's a big role that Phoebe played in the church. She was a deaconess who guarded, protected, and helped those under her care. So when my Southern Baptist friends like to say, females cannot be deacons, I point them to Miss Phoebe. Because I'm sorry, it is absolutely the same Greek word. And not only was she a deacon, but she was a protector in the church. A guardian, one who stood before. She had a great role in the church. Now, we have deacons and we have elders, and we'll go through that whenever we get into um, Corinthians. But we know that even those of you that have come to the Bible study, we've talked about the difference in them. That the, the elders are responsible more for the spiritual teaching and spiritual role in the church. And the deacons are responsible more for the administration of taking food or cleaning or dealing with walls that need to be built and those types of functions. So the spiritual roles were left to the elders, and the physical roles, more times than not, were given to the deacons. We have no deacons. We have problems finding elders, right? Which reminds me, next Sunday after service, there will be a congregational meeting at the end of the service. So I would ask the members that that you stay after the service, because we're going to talk about elders when I'm reminded there. So... We have Phoebe, she's a deaconess in the church. Where? Sincrea. Sincrea. Don't really know where this is. Never heard of Sincrea before. Sincrea was a city on the eastern shore of Corinth. Where was Paul when he wrote this letter? You know this. Where was Paul when he wrote this letter? Corinth. Corinth. So these verses, as Paul is commending or vouching for this young lady, has, have led many scholars to believe that Phoebe was sent to Rome to do what? Give them this letter. Deliver to the Roman church this letter that Paul penned. And that's why he went to such great lengths telling them, receive her in the Lord in a manner that's worthy of the saints. Love her, encourage her, give her everything that she needs because she has done so much and been such a great helper of so many and myself as well. He wanted her welcomed very warmly. And so it is the belief of many, including myself, that this was the delivery of this letter or this young lady delivered this letter to the church at Rome. And then he asked the leaders in the church to greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Now you see these and you think, man, that's really close to what Luke wrote about in Acts. And actually it is the same group, the same two. Priscilla and Aquila. It is the same two of folks. They are the same believers. They originally lived in Rome. 
They lived in Rome until 49 AD and they were driven out by Emperor Claudius. Then they traveled to Corinth and they met Paul. And then they went to Ephesus and they actually started a church in their home while they were in Ephesus. And now they were back in Rome. Eventually we will see that they travel back to Ephesus and that is the last we hear of Priscilla and Aquila. But nonetheless, these two two folks had a very special place in Paul's heart. He thought highly of them and and loved them dearly. Do you remember what their profession was? Remember what Paul's profession was? Tent maker. So they no doubt met because they did the same thing. So Paul was making tents, Priscilla and Aquila was making tents, and no doubt that started the conversation about Jesus, and they became great leaders in the church. Paul worked with them. And then in Acts 18, we read an encounter that Priscilla had and Aquila had with a young preacher named Apollos. And they referred to him as a great orator, and he preached great things and brought great meaning to the words that he spoke spoke but Priscilla and Aquila heard that and he only preached about John's baptism meaning John the Baptist and not about Jesus and so it was an issue where they didn't he didn't understand what grace was so they listened to him very respectfully they said he was a great speaker but they brought him into their home and they taught him their theology And they did so very lovingly and caringly and genuinely. And he became a very great preacher for the gospel in the New Testament time. In verse verse 4, Paul says, even they risk their own necks for my life. We don't know how this happened or when this happened. It's not recorded. But we know that they loved Paul so much that they risked their own life for Paul. When someone risks their life for yours, it no doubt has a very significant bonding type or is a very significant bonding type experience. Those of you that have been in combat, combat, you share a special bond with those that fought beside you. You especially share a special bond with those that might have saved your life or risked their own lives to save you. And so that's sort of the type of thing that's going on here. When we read about these ministries in the New Testament, that whenever someone risks their life, and here Priscilla and Aquila risked their life for Paul, it no doubt created a significant bond between them. And we read about their ministry being singular, but it was two folks. And so many times in the New Testament, we read about ministries and we read about individuals. But this is a beautiful illustration of how a husband and a wife can serve together in the ministry and glorify God on a large scale. And they did it so very beautiful. They both served equally. Another unique point is that Priscilla's name is always mentioned first. And that is odd in the New Testament time. It's extremely odd for a wife's name to be mentioned before the husband's name. But here, clearly, it is. It was mentioned the same way in Luke's book of Acts, and don't really know the significance of that, but there is significance to it in that I think Priscilla was a great leader 
on her own right or of her own right. Also greet the church that is in their house. So not only are Priscilla and Aquila in Rome, but they have a church that they started in their house. So it wasn't as if this church at Rome that, to which Paul is writing was one singular church, but it was a group of churches that was in Rome, and one of which was Priscilla and Aquila. So I have no doubt that this letter went out to the leaders of all the churches in Rome, and he was saying, tell Priscilla and Aquila that I said hi, I'm very grateful to them, and make sure that this letter gets to their church that they've started inside their own house. And oh, by the way, that's the way most churches existed back then. They didn't have these large edifices that we have here today. They didn't have their own buildings. It, they all started in someone's home, and it was no different in that situation. Paul then moves on. Greet Epineatos. Greet Epineatos. And he was a great leader that Paul is mentioning here. My beloved, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Clearly, this person had a deep place of love and respect in Paul's heart that he was actually the first convert to Christ that was in Asia, and he was in Rome as well. Verse 6, Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Don't really know who Mary is. There were many Marys in the New Testament time, but she has been a faithful servant to the Roman church. And he had heard that. So he wanted to make sure that she was recognize recognized verse 7 greet andronicus and junius my kinsmen and fellow prisoners who are outstanding among the apostles and who were in christ before me so andronicus and junius paul addresses them as his kinsmen what did he mean by that did he mean that he was they were kinsmen the same way That Phoebe was a kinsman because he called her a sister? No, I don't believe that's right. I believe that he was addressing them as his kinsmen because they were also fellow Jews. That they were Jews by birth. And that just is the introductory type description of them. They are my kinsmen. But then he moves on and says, they're also fellow prisoners. Fellow prisoners. Now, what does that mean? It could be taken one of two ways. I will admit that. They could be a spiritual prisoner or a physical prisoner. Paul spoke often and wrote often about being a slave to Christ, about being a bondservant to Jesus Christ, being a prisoner of sorts of the gospel. So I'm I'm assuming that is one way in which he could have use the term fellow prisoner to describe them. But that would have applied to all these folks he was talking about, right? If he wanted to use that, that would apply to all of them that he's going through because they were all believers as far as we know. So if he just wanted to talk about being a spiritual servant or a spiritual prisoner, then that would make Andronicus and Junius no different than Phoebe or Mary or anybody else that he's talking about. No, I think this is different 
in that these folks were actually imprisoned with Paul during one of the many times that he was taken prisoner for preaching the gospel. And I believe that's why Paul is using the term prisoner, my fellow prisoner, that he had actually physically been taken prisoner. And I believe that that also created a very special bond. It would, right? Anytime that you were together in the gospel, for the gospel, preaching the gospel, you get arrested together, you get thrown in jail together, creates a bond. I'm not going to ask you how many of you have been thrown in jail together and what type of bond that created. But I have no doubt that created a bond with Paul in this situation. They are outstanding among the apostles. The apostles have great respect for them. We don't know exactly what they did. We know that they had an amazing ministry, though, and Paul was recognizing that here. Not only that, but they were in Christ before me, Paul says. They believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ before I did. While I was persecuting Christians, they were believing They were helping the apostles. They were out spreading the gospel message. And so here it is, the beginning of this doxology to the book of Romans, and Paul is encouraging other believers. I hope that this demonstrates to you how important encouragement is. Because I I can see Andronicus and Junius, who knows Paul and and thinks about this letter that he has written to whatever church they're in. And lo and behold, as this church is sharing it, their names are there. He has mentioned them individually. The same with Priscilla and Aquila. That they have this bond with Paul and he mentions them and, and, and says great things about them and that has to provide such encouragement to them to know that Paul and who Paul is and how much respect that they had for him never found himself in a position where he didn't fail or he failed to mention those others that are out there working for the gospel and for the cause of Christ. Encouragement is a big deal in the church because doing the work of Christ is tough. Fighting the battles day in, day out, being subjected to fiery darts, being, or having to face all the issues that we face on a daily basis can drag you down. And it can drag, it no doubt was dragging these folks down as well. But Paul wanted to pick them out individually, lift them up to let them know that Priscilla and Aquila, when you're dealing with things and you're trying to to bring people into this church that you've sacrificed your house for, whenever you feel like God's doing nothing, know that that's not the case. That I appreciate what you're doing. That God appreciates what you're doing. Lift each other up and be of encouragement to each other because we need it because the race is long and the battle is hard and many of those are those that that want to quit and check out i'm certain that it gave them strength and confidence that they could lean on 
in the most difficult times in their walks with Christ. So I encourage you to take the time to let each other know how much you mean to each other, how much you appreciate the ministry or the example or the help or encouragement that you get from each other. Encourage each other as Paul did and greet them with love. Amen? Let us pray. Most gracious God, Lord, we thank you for Paul's example of encouragement, that he took the time, being the magnificent apostle that he was, took the time to encourage those that aren't as well known as he was or the rest of the apostles, to let them know how integral they were in the gospel message, how integral part of the church that they all were, Lord. And Father, help us to emulate that in our own lives and in our own church so that we use those moments of encouragement to keep fighting, that it would build strength and energy and direction in our own ministries, Father, that you may be glorified in the end. And Father, we pray that these words would have significant impact in our lives and in our ministries here this morning. For it is in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. So I'll stand and sing the last.